Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Welcome to Red Leg Nation Radio, your home for discussion and analysis of Cincinnati Reds baseball all year long. Now here's your host, Chad Dotson. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Red Leg Nation Radio. This is episode number 258 of the world's most dangerous podcast. I'm your host, Chad Dotson. With me again, as he often is, your friend and my... Well, he used to be my friend until he... You know, banged on me in the last week's uh, episode. Jason Linden, I'm allowing you back one last time. I, I don't know why I get punished for just saying obvious true things. Listen, you're back on with the one uh, caveat that you're not allowed to talk about college basketball. So let's stick to baseball, shall we? The Cincinnati Reds? Sure, sure. I don't know anything about how they dribble the pigskin anyway. So Excellent. So we're getting close to opening day. Less than a week away by the time you listen to this. And um, we have a really interesting interview this episode with Chris Welsh, Reds broadcaster and longtime friend of Red Leg Nation Radio, Chris Welsh. He, uh, he got together, talked to our Bill Lack, and uh, had a kind of wide-ranging interview and discussed one, one of the big things they discussed is who's going to be on the opening day roster. And I thought it would be fun for you and I, Jason, I say I thought, but it was actually your idea, uh, to for us to discuss who, who's going to make it. Because we're at that time of year where it's, we're down to the nitty-gritty here. Who's going to make this uh, opening day roster? Um, you want to take this, let's start with the pitchers. Yeah, and I mean, let's also, let's be clear, I am the one with all of the good ideas. <laughs> we all know who the talent in this operation is. Um, there he goes again. <laughs> So the pitchers, the starting rotation seems to be mostly set, if not entirely so. We've got uh, Luis Castillo has been proclaimed the opening day starter. Hey, that's what uh, we predicted last week. Yeah, which is pretty much what we thought was going to happen last week. So that's good, and that'll be fun. Um, then we've got Sonny Gray, Hannah Rourke, and unbelievably, it seems like Anthony DiSclafani is going to start the season on the active roster. I'm, I'm not the first, on wood. Yeah, for the first time in a few years. Um, Alex Wood isn't going to be ready, and so he won't start the season on the roster. He's going to be on the injured list. Uh, it doesn't sound like that's any kind of like long-term thing, so he'll probably just have a slightly late start to the season. Um, but I think the consensus is that Tyler Molly will be um, will, will be the, the starting pitcher in his place until he's ready, and then and Molly, one presumes, will, will head down to Louisville. Um, let, me, let me let's talk about that for a moment because yeah. if we're talking opening day roster, do we expect Molly to actually be there? Because you know, early in the season, you've got some off days, and you may not need that fifth starter for a little while. Uh, what do you expect the Reds to do there? Do you think Molly will be with the team? I went and looked at the schedule, and it's one of those I don't understand why he wouldn't be, especially if they're planning to go with eight relief pitchers anyway. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, because it's they it's it's weird. Normally they have more days off at the beginning of the season than they do this year, but this year they just have before they'll need the fifth starter. They just have the day after opening day that the, you know the basically the rainout day um, that they always have, and then there's not another day off until after they would need a fifth starter. Okay, see, but you may get to the second time through the rotation before you need him. Well, you can make it to this. You can start your number one guy twice, but before you get to your number two guy. You're going to have to have your number five go. Okay. Oh, you're right. So, yeah, because of the way that works. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Okay. Well, that uh, kind of answers one of my questions uh, in some ways that we're going to talk about a little bit later, which is uh, about the bench, because I'm wondering if uh, you know, they keep talking about a four-man bench, if they might try to do a five-man bench. 
until you need that fifth starter. But uh, yeah, you know, I like this I think, for a few days. Yeah. So the bullpen, if if we got eight pitchers, yeah. Um, are there eight good pitchers to put in that bullpen? Uh probably. It's going to be interesting. Well, let's, um, let's let's let me let, give you some names, and you tell me yes or no. All right, Roselli Glacius. Yes, of course, Jason. He's good. Yes, he's good at pitching. He's good at pitching. Yeah, I like Roselli Glacius. Zach Duke. Yep, lefty definitely. Uh, Amir Garrett. Yep. Okay, I agree. Jared Hughes. Yep. David Hernandez. Yep. Michael Lorenzen. Yes, sir. Wandy Peralta. I'm going to go with a no on that one. I think I'm going no as well. We agree with all these so far. Um, Cody Reed. I would say yes. We will see. We will see, indeed. Cody Reed would be the third left-hander, if, yeah. I'm, not, if I'm not mistaken, out of eight pitchers. I don't think that's unreasonable. Um, you know, especially with with Reed and Garrett, they're both just they're just relief pitchers, right? So I'm I'm giving Reed a soft yes. Yeah, uh, Matt Whistler. Uh, uh, probably, I guess. I mean, I think I'm saying a soft no. Yeah, I don't think I would necessarily have him on the team, but I think that he might be on the team all the same. Um, although, now that I think about it, he is out of options. Yeah, that's why. Um, which is why the next guy is the guy I was going to predict in that spot, Robert Stevenson. Also, yeah, that's uh, Whistler and Stevenson are the questions because of the lack of options. Um, I, man, I don't know. I've... I feel like I still really feel like Robert Stevenson. He's he hasn't had that much time in 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 spring, and I think he's really going to start the season uh, on the injured list within flame service time. <laughs> right. Uh, uh, I think that if I, if I'm going to guess here, I'm going to say or who else? Let me think. There's one other pitcher, uh, Sal Romano. I if if it were purely me and we're going the best eight pitchers, I would have Reed and Romano over Whistler and Stevenson. Yeah. I think we'll get uh, Reed and we may get those two. Um, well, no, I think Romano goes down in favor of Whistler because of the options. I think mean, I think you probably are right too. And, and and Matt Whistler is you know he's he's solid enough. I think. Yeah, I got no problem with uh, Whistler. But, I, mean, he's, he's he, been, I don't know. I could also see them just I don't, just letting him go. Maybe, but he's twenty six. You know, he came over in that uh, Adam Duvall trade last year. He's had a pretty good spring for whatever that's worth. Um, Nine and a third innings, twelve strikeouts, and one walk. But uh, I don't know. Romano's got options. You send him down. I think you're right about Stevenson. You can keep Reed and Whistler, and put Stevenson on the uh, injured list, and that becomes a, you know, you can kick that can down the road. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. So, so that's you know, I mean, again, we're talking the end of the bullpen here, but uh, there are some interesting decisions they're going to have to make because of the options. Do you Would want to cut bait on you really, if you're the Reds at this point, don't you just kind of hope that somebody has a pitching emergency and you can make a trade? I would not be surprised if they're, uh, you know, talking to teams every day all spring long. Yeah. About that. Um, who else might get that uh, Peralta? We said no. Um, Lucas Sims. I think he'll probably go to AAA and start, don't you? Yeah, I think so. He's going to be, he's going to be depth. Did you see that the, uh, the Reds traded for more AAA pitcher depth? I did not see what the uh, result. I saw that they traded Connor Joe to the Giants. Yeah. Is that right? Uh, Jordan Johnson, who I hadn't heard of um, from the Giants, he looks like basically a Tim Adelman type. Mm. Uh, hasn't debuted in the majors yet. Pretty mediocre minor league numbers, but somebody who can make starts at AAA and and you know in yeah. a, in extreme emergency, you know, could probably be called up for a you know, one shot start with the Reds or whatever. I like that that guy is organizational depth rather than potential fifth starter as it's been for yeah. the last few years. Um, Ian crawl might be the only one other one I, uh, I could think might be in the mix, but I don't see that happening. And uh, yeah. he's not on the 40 man roster anyway. So there's just not, there just isn't a lot of room. There really isn't. There really isn't. Now let's, uh, so we haven't really answered the question necessarily, but I think, uh, 
I keep I mean, saying I, I want the best. The spots are spoken for, and the other two are just going to depend on if the Reds think guys who are out of options are worth roster spots. Yeah, and I'm going to go back on what I've been saying for months and months and months, which is that the Reds need to put their best 25 out there because I think the, the you know the, the marginal difference between a guy like Whistler and you know say Cody Reed or Romano not that great right now. Um, you know, I think you can make an argument that they are in the top 25, even though I don't necessarily, I'd rather have Reed uh, and Romano. I I would, I would too. If in terms of the argument that you're making though, I think the route that I would go would be to say that you're going to need more than eight relief pitchers. Yeah. So maybe don't cut loose your ninth best option. If it means you have to keep him on the roster now, collect as many uh, arms as you can. If you're not really hurting the major league team and they're really not, you you know, again, it's a marginal difference. You're talking about, you know, sixth inning guys. Um, let's, uh, let's go around the, the diamond. They they play on a diamond. That word just almost escaped me there. It's I was going to say around the horn. Yeah, let's go around the horn. Um, I haven't watched uh, uh, much baseball in a few months, so uh, it's diamond. I think they play on. Well, we'll we'll try to catch you up, Chad. <laughs> All right, let's talk about the uh, eight everyday starters. Although that's kind of a trick uh, question because I don't think there are eight every, everyday starters. Um, I think there are nine everyday starters. Uh, but we'll get into that. Who do we see as it's in most places? It's probably pretty simple, but there are some serious questions, and we're talking the opening day roster. Yeah, Tucker Barnhart. We agree. Yeah, Barnhart. I mean, well, okay. So Barnhart, Votto, Jeanette, Peraza, Suarez. Those are the givens. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Those five. There's no question. The questions are all in the outfield. Um, Puig seems to be a 100% a given. He's a lock, which gives us two spots. Yeah. And four guys, really, for those spots. Yeah. Those four guys are Scott Shebler, who's hit 47 home runs the last two years. Matt Kemp, who uh, finished second in the MVP voting at one time, was an all-star as recently as last year. Jesse Winker, whose on-base percentage is $7 billion, approximately. Yeah. I haven't looked at the latest numbers. $7 billion is about right. Yeah. Um and uh, one Nick Senzel. Nick Senzel. That's the big question on the. And we've talked about this ad nauseum, but right. we're here at the decision time. Do you have a sense on what the Reds are going to do? The feel seems to be that they're going to start the year with him on the roster. No, Jason. I think it is. Oh. I think it is, and I think I can't remember where I saw this pointed out, but you know that. Before the service time thing becomes an issue with Nick Senzel, the current CBA will have expired. The Major League Baseball and the Players Union are already seem to be recognizing that it's creating enough conflict that it's going to have to be probably renegotiated before then to avoid a work stoppage. So... I don't know. I think I think that it, it allows you to create goodwill at probably some with something that's not much of a sacrifice. And it also was pointed out somewhere on Twitter when um, Mike Trout's extension, the news of that came out today, that the Angels never played any service time games with Trout whatsoever. And as a result, it's been really easy for them to keep him in the organization. They've always been really good at, at giving him, you know, raises that were more generous than they were required to give him and, and, and things along those lines. And then it, it, it's kind of paying off for them now. So I, I think there's a real good case to start with Senzel on the roster. And if you do, he's your center fielder. Starting everyday center fielder. I agree with that. And of course we are making the case here that Nick Senzel is going to be every bit as good as Mike Trout. Yes, absolutely. Yes. He's definitely going to have a floor of Mickey Mantle. <laughs> Heavens no. Do not pour that on Nick Senzel's shoulders. Uh, he's going to have enough pressure anyway uh, to be the savior of this organization without have, being expected to be one of the top three players of all time. Um, I, I think I'm with you. Um, I'm still not really confident in this call because I've just seen the Reds do so many things over the years. Uh, but you talk about a signal to me specifically. You know, I wrote a piece. Uh, recently and basically saying that what we saw this winter was something that 
you know, we really hadn't seen before. It was, it was a, a, as big a shift in organizational uh, practices as you could ever expect to see in one offseason. And this would be another, um, just in terms of how the Reds conducted their winter uh, transactions. And this would be another data point in favor of that because, uh, you know, I just don't see the Reds ever before now keeping Sinzel on the roster. So, yeah. Uh, um, really, I think the, the interesting question is not are really are they going to open the season with him? Because it's either either to start the season or two weeks in, he's going to be on the team and he's going to be starting in center field. I don't have any doubts about that. And so then the question is, then what? Well, yeah, yeah, I agree, and that's a question that we're going to be asking a lot. But let me let me pose it a little bit differently to you. What if the Reds send him down and keep Scott Shebler, for instance, and Scott Shebler's your center fielder, and Scott Shebler hits you know six hundred in two weeks and plays a passable center field. Um, do the Reds get cold feet at that point? I do not think that the current managerial structure gets cold feet at that point. Yeah, I don't either, but it's that's the type of thing that the old Reds it would worry me about. I think that's also another really good case for not sending Senzel down. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Exactly, because that's a, a, an extra added level of pressure. Yeah, on the kid. Okay, so so Senzel, we got Senzel in our, in our everyday lineup. To me, probably, I'll, I'll go ahead and, and say what I think in terms of left field. I think it should be Winker primarily, uh, although I can absolutely live with a Winker Matt Kemp uh, platoon situation, lefty righty yeah. platoon. I think I think Kemp is for sure um, going to start. Probably not a straight platoon, but he's going to get starts against tough lefties. Um, and he probably will get some starts for Puig against lefties too. Yeah. Um, but I will actually, I will say this, and this is, this is gets to the four man bench question. I've had the feeling all spring and I still have the feeling that some outfielder is going to end up somewhere else before opening day. Yes, that is the, because as we're getting ready to talk about this four man bench, the math doesn't work out. Yeah. And, And so that's the unknown. Are they going to deal someone? Uh, they're, they're not going to release one of these guys, but they, with a with a five man bench, it works fine. You keep Shebler and Kemp, and then you've got Dietrich and uh, Iglesias, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about that bench then, because yeah. Shebler now we've determined that Shebler's not your top four outfielders, which is crazy. No, it's not <laughs> it's crazy. He's good. Yeah, he is. That is a well, great you know, problem to have. Let's. Scott Shebler is the, probably, frankly, the perfect fourth outfielder. Mm-hmm. You can passably play him anywhere in the outfield, really. Yeah, and uh, he can hit, and he can he can hit. Yeah, but he's not like perfect. He's not like he's never going to be an all star or anything like yeah. that. Um, but yeah, he's a, he is he is the perfect fourth outfielder. He's an average to slightly above average hitter with some pop. Yeah, a great fourth outfielder to me. Um, so let's uh, say that the Reds go with four bench players like they've been saying. They say over and over, they keep saying four bench players, yeah. um, which I think is why they've been creative with Michael Lorenzen this spring. But Kirk Casale's got to be there. He's your backup catcher. Yeah, he's, yeah. Um, Derek Dietrich has to be there. I love that guy. Um, Jose Iglesias has got to be there. He's your backup infielder. Yeah, Iglesias, I would say that. Iglesias and Casali have the most locked-in spots. I think Dietrich's just as big a lock, frankly, because he plays so many different places and he can he hit. Does, but I think I, I mean, the difference there is though that like, if you have Iglesias and an outfielder can play any of the positions that Dietrich can play, right? Um, so is Shebler the other guy? Shebler has options. <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, in terms of talent, yeah. In terms of roster, but man, actually, wait a minute. It's a three-man bench, though. If we're not include, if we included Matt Kemp and Jesse Winker in that starting group, because one of those guys will be the bench guy. There's yeah. Not, there's not room. I, there's not room for Shebler if it's just a four-man bench. That's what I was trying to get to earlier. So, do yeah. they send him down? Because he does have options. That would just be so hard. Oh. And I, I, I just, I, 
I just have never thought that ever, not from the moment they acquired him, that Matt Kemp was going to open the season on the Reds. Yeah, I, I think that. I felt like that was a salary trade that happened. I feel like Matt Kemp is, you know, he made the all-star team last year because he had a great first half, but he did not have a good second half. Um, so basically he's had one good half of baseball in the last, like, four years. Um, I, I'm with you. I, to me, I, I keep waiting for it. I've been waiting for it for weeks for them to trade Matt Kemp. Even if I'm being if I'm being totally honest, um, please please do be totally honest. Well, nah, I don't know. It's I'd rather have Shebler than Kemp. I'd rather have Shebler than Kemp. Yeah, I think Kemp's uh, Shebler is uh, at least a you know probably a, a good bet to be a better hitter or at least an, an equal hitter this year. Uh, and he hits from yeah. the left side of the plate, and he uh, has more versatility in the field. Right. And also, like, yeah, Puig is a right-hander. Sinzel is a right-hander. So Shebler can spell either of those guys mm-hmm. against tough lefties. Um, they got to trade Kemp. They they got to trade Kemp. They got it. That's the only way it, the math works out because it's going to be really – it's really not going to be good if Shebler gets sent down. Now, another option is they keep Shebler early. Keep a five-man bench for the first, you know, few days until they need that fifth starter, and kick yeah. that can down the road. That that could happen. He could be on the opening day roster. Um, but something's got to give soon if they're going to insist on carrying a billion relief pitchers so that they only have a four-man bench. Yeah. So. All right. Well, we've kind of figured it out. I think we. I think we agree on what we would do. Yeah, it's just a, a question of what are the Reds going to do, and there are some things that happen, like. Uh, I would assume that Dietrich and Iglesias have to be added to the roster basically any second now, um, or else they have the right to seek employment elsewhere. All right. I think those guys need to make it. I mean, I'm, I'm on board with those guys oh, being oh, on I the agree. roster. I agree. Yeah. Dietrich, especially because he can he can hit. <laughs> you look at this bench we're talking about, and there are no uh, you know Skip Schumachers or uh, Jack Hanahans in there. I love it. Yeah. Wow, the I, only players on this team who figure to, I think, be below average hitters are catchers or or backup shortstops. <laughs> Amazing, it's glorious. All right, Jason, let's uh, let's get to this interview with uh, with Chris Welsh. Chris, of course, has been a long time broadcaster for the Reds, a pitcher for the Reds uh, before that from Cincinnati. Really, one of the becoming one of the icons in Cincinnati because he's uh, he's been around for a long time at this point. And still doing a great job. He's been here on the podcast a number of times, and he's always generous with his time. So our uh, our Bill Light got a chance to sit down and uh, and talk with him a little bit. Let's go ahead and uh, and give you that interview right now. Then Jason and I'll be back. Today we are pleased to be joined once again by our longtime friend of Red Leg Nation and longtime Reds broadcaster, Mr. Chris Welsh. Chris, how you doing today? Bill, I'm doing great, Bill. How many years have we been doing this, Bill? I looked the other day. I think it's like 15. It's like 13 or 15, wow. something like that. We've been doing it for a long time. Yeah, it, it is a long time. And, and I, I got to tell you, I enjoy my conversations with you and uh, Red Mike Nation. Boy, uh, is that ever, you, you maybe one of the founders of that, and this thing is blossomed into something very big. So congratulations. Yeah, Chad, Chad kind of hit a, hit a gold mine with this thing when he came up with this idea. Um, well, I'm, I'm glad that I can be just even, even the smallest granule of sand in the, in the building blocks of success for Red Lake Nation. <laughs> you, you're, you're a big boulder in that success, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I've been called a big boulder before. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you what. Let me ask you a question. Do you feel as positive and excited about this team as we are here at Red Lake Nation? Well, I don't know how, uh, how, I don't know how to gauge your excitement, but I, I can tell you that I'm very excited. Uh, it, it's finally like somebody lifted, the, you know, the uh, the sunscreen off of this ball club, and uh, the sunshine keeps coming in, and I see more and more positive things to be excited about. Do, do you do you feel like there's a, a sense of excitement in the clubhouse also? I, I think there's a sense of realization. I don't think that things could have gotten much worse than they were last year, even at this time last year. Uh, 
you know, everybody was kind of worried about themselves and looking over their shoulders, you know, really right from the very top on down. I mean, talking about the top of the front office, the field manager to the coaches, to the players, to those players that were on their way out, you know, maybe at the end of their careers, uh, or and those players that were on their way up. I mean, everything, it just couldn't have been worse. Uh, there was no direction. Uh, and it, it's completely different this year. Uh, I'm not saying that this ball club is on its way to the World Series, but the, the, the attitude is completely different. The clubhouse has a completely different feel, and I think that you're going to see guys playing, you know, fun, relaxed football, uh, kind of baseball that you wanted to see them play. And I think that's the only way you're going to win. There's no doubt that, that, or at least it appears from 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 our perspective, is that there's been a huge change in the in the philosophy of the front office. You know, the, 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 the trading for players on walk contracts, the, the huge input in analytics, even the hiring of David Bell. Do you think that, the, the, I mean, was it because it was so bad last year, the ownership decided that they were going to go in a different direction of the front office? Was it a, a, a gradual change? Was there, a, was there some type of, you know, uh, past, you know, charge, you know, battle for control in the front office? You know, I don't think there was a beginning and end of, of uh, where the old front office ended and where the new has begun. Uh, it has been a gradual change. I think that the change, you know, the uh, transformation uh, is certainly there now. Uh, and basically, you know, when Walt Jockety came in, he brought his own people in, and, and for the longest time they ruled the roost, and that's how things are going to be done. Of course, under under the guidance of Bob Castellini. Now, Bob Castellini is still the, the general partner owner, and he runs the show ultimately. Um, and his goals are still the same as they've always been, which is when, you know, put, put wins on the board, put people in the seats, put ears on the radio, and eyeballs on the television. Uh, and uh, it's, it's a little easy, but it's not, because other teams are trying to and so on. But I think that when finally that the Reds, you know, front office turned over, meaning, you know, Dick Williams took over as president of baseball operations, and actually they gave him some responsibility. And Nick Kroll becomes general manager, and they begin to move, you know, the older guys off, you know, to maybe lesser decision-making roles. Uh, then, then these guys are able to implement some new strategies. And analytics, obviously, part of that. Uh, you know, the, the way they hire different people in the organization is certainly part of that. And I think it began with those two first. You know, Dick Williams, uh, Nick Crawl, maybe Sam Grossman, who is, you know, kind of the analytics guy in, in the whole thing. And those three together, um, you know, that was Bob Cassini and, and Walt Jockey. And so this is the direction we like to go in. Uh, because they need to change the culture, and I think they've gone a long way in that direction already. There's there's been a lot of talk this spring about the use of technology in camp, um, especially with the pitch, pitching. It seems like then then the other day there was an article about the minor leaguers being aligned with the big league team with like what almost sounded to me like a franchise philosophy, and that these guys were going to be given goals and a plan for to work on during the season. Is this something new to the Reds that other teams have been doing all along? I don't think it's new to anybody in baseball, to be honest with you, Bill. I think that if you go back to the days of the Dodgers and the Braves when they were putting great pitching out there all the time, I mean, they had a, a, a simplistic philosophy on pitching, but it went all the way from the very top pitcher in the big league organization all the way down to the worst pitcher in the minor leagues. And they had philosophies of, of how they were going to attack the strategy and what pitches that they were going to emphasize for the pitchers and so on. The only difference now, in my mind, is that they have different names. You know, we're talking in terms of analytics. And more people can understand that now because more people can read a spreadsheet than can look at a major league or a minor league picture and say, this is what the tweak you need to make. And it's sometimes easier for pictures to understand that. So the information for me is the same, except that it's a little bit more exacting because it's put in numbers. And it's easier for everybody to, to to grasp and understand. So, yeah, I think it's fine. I would always wonder why, when Brian Price, if he was the smartest guy in the pitching you know, field in the entire Reds organization, why didn't he design a, a, a pitching philosophy that went from the very top all the way down to the bottom? Never happened. And, and I just could not understand for the life of me. You had a, you had a brilliant pitching mind like Brian Price, and you, you didn't quite use him to his ultimate 
um, you know, advance your organization. I think they're beginning to do that now. They realize now that you have to have some kind of coordination between minor league and major league, between pitching coaches down in, in rookie ball and pitching coaches in double A and pitching coaches in the big leagues so that you can talk the same language. And the analytics are just a way to define those things. They're, they're not breakthroughs. We're not all of a sudden teaching kids how to pitch completely different because the spin rates and the, the efficiency of a spin and, and uh, you know, how many inches they are away from their head when they throw the ball, all that kind of stuff. But that's always been there. But now it's just able to be accounted for on, the, on a piece of paper. And, and a lot of that comes to this technology, the cameras and that kind of thing. Is that what we're talking about here? Yeah, and, and it's easier now for a pitcher to visualize you know, what he wants to do. Give him some feedback. And I really think it's terrific. I, I, I for one, would have been in love with this stuff. And I have, and I've been exposed to a lot of this way back in the dark ages. Uh, but, you know, back in those days, it, it took a, a really smart pitching coach to look at you and say, you know, you need to pitch your fingers just a little bit over here, a little bit, a little more pressure on your middle finger. I want you to try that for a few pitches. So you think that you're on to something right there. But now, when they tell you that same thing, now you go right to the, you know, to the iPad screen that's sitting up there on the bullpen now, and you look and say, okay, this is, this is the spin rate where it was. This is where it is now. Uh, here's your efficiency of spin. Here's your arm slot angle. And you can start tinkering with things and be much more exacting. And I think for the Reds to finally embrace this fully, and they have embraced it fully, and they haven't been in the you know, they haven't ignored it over the years, but they're completely uh, into it now, just like every other team is. Uh, so, you know, it's not like you're getting an advantage over other teams, but you are trying to get the best out of your own players. Going back to this franchise philosophy idea, and again, for a minute, do you think this had a part in how they stole Turner Ward and Derek Johnson? Because I couldn't figure out why in the world these guys would want to come from the Dodgers and the Brewers to the Reds. Well, do you think I, it had something to do with control? I, I think that, I don't know about the control word, but, but I think what they like is their approach. And the, the best approach now, the, the biggest challenge, I think, for any coach is to take these analytics and all these complicated numbers. And, you know, you're not trying to explain to pitchers what the Magnus effect is, okay? What you're trying to explain to him is how you grip the baseball with your, your arm slot and your delivery to make the most efficient pitch possible in a spot where the hitter is at the weakest. And that's one of the challenges for hitting coaches and pitching coaches to be able to take this complicated information and dumb it down so that the players can actually put it into play. So really what you're looking at is not the greatest coaches in the world. These guys didn't invent anything, Derek Johnson and Turner Ward, but they're very good at communicating what is trying to be communicated to the player. And, you know, what made what makes Joe Morgan one of the best baseball analysts out there, in the view of almost everybody who's ever watched it? Well, he was able to take a complicated game like baseball and explain it so the masses can understand it. Some people thought he was too, too elementary in his philosophy, but that's what coaches have to be nowadays. And I think that when they went out and they had to give, you know, Gary Johnson a signing bonus at dinner in Nashville over the wintertime, and said, we're not leaving here without a, a decision for you to come uh, to us. Because he was all set to go back to the Brewers. Same with Turner Ward. He was all set to just sign the session with the Dodgers, and the Reds kind of came in and recruited him away. So I think it was a coup. I think that they knew what they wanted, and uh, I think that they got what they wanted. Let's turn our, our attention to David Bell here for a minute. I want to hear your thoughts on Bell, but... but because you, you, I don't know how well you know him before he took this job, but and then, then tell me whether you'll see, will there be any visible differences to the fan sitting in the stands about how this team is managed because David Bell's the manager? Well, I don't know if you mean from a, um, you know, uh, a strategy perspective during the ball game, probably not. I mean, you know, everybody basically manages by the book, and, and that's kind of the way it's going to be. I, I thought that, uh, 
the Jim Riddleman, uh, it, it's basically a Hall of Fame bench coach for me. I mean, this guy knows his X's and O's as well as anybody I've ever met in the game of baseball. And I'm a little disappointed that he was not retained to come back, and he's going to be with the Mets this year. But I, I think that Riddleman was excellent. Maybe not as a managerial guy, but certainly as an X's and O's guy as far as running the strategy of the game. So, can the casual fan look back and say, boy, this game is being run completely different this year by David Bell and Brian Price? The answer to that is probably no. Uh, but what you are going to see, I think, is a different approach overall. And um, just the, the, hopefully they're going to have a little hop in their step. And they're going to play with a little different attitude um, than they have in the past. So I think that will be visible, yes. Well, last year, I mean, last time you and I talked, we, we, we talked about, and I went back and listened to our, our last couple of interviews. You, you talked, we, we were talking about the managerial search that was coming up, and you said you'd like the guy that will call players out rather than what you called the friendship model. Does Bell fit into the call guys out or the friendship model, or is he a, a hybrid, or what do you think? How do you think that's going to work? The first thing you have to have before the, the calling guys out happens is you have to have the total support of your front office. And that has not happened here over the last decade. You know, even with Dusty Baker, Dusty did a lot of things behind the scenes. You know, he told me that Brandon Phillips was the most fine player on that team every year. But no one would ever know it because Dusty always did it behind closed doors. And I think that Brian Price did the same thing. He didn't call guys out. But what he did call guys out, and the very few times that he tried to do so, he did not get the backing of the front office, and he knew that. Uh, after the first couple times that happened, then he wasn't going to get support. He wasn't going to call guys out anymore. So this year is going to be different. Now, does it mean that David Bell is going to blast somebody in the newspaper? You know, all about Dick Williams. What, I mean, Dick Williams, the manager of the Oakland A's way back when. Yeah. No, he's not going to, he's not, he's not acting like that. But he's got, he's, when, when he, um, when he sees something happen that he thinks needs fixing, um, he's not going to hide the whole thing. He's going to let us know that this needs to be fixed and he's going to go about getting it done. So he's not out for embarrassing his players, but he is going to have the support of the front office, and that's going to give him the chance to call guys out on a lot different level than what Brian Price was able to do. I've always teased you over the years, Chris, about what you said about Joey Votto many years ago, but now I've got to turn around and give you a ton of credit here for something that you said the last time that we talked. You said, and I quote, if you trade Billy Hamilton, Nick Senzel would be the center, could be the center fielder of the future. And as far as I know, you were the first point person to voice the idea of Senzel in center field. So kudos, my friend. So now the question is this. Is Senzel the center fielder on okay. opening day? On opening day, probably not. No. Uh, about extra year of service time is so important. I mean, what would, what would the Cubs fans think if they lose Chris Bryant a year early just because you want to see him two weeks as his rookie season? They forget all about that rookie season. So I think the same thing happens here in Cincinnati with Senzel. There is no way the Reds are going to jeopardize that last year of control with Nick Senzel just because they're going to see him two weeks in the month you know, of, of April 2019. doesn't make any sense. The rules are warped. It's a stupid way to have baseball. It hurts the player, the fan, the ball club, everybody. I don't know why they ever looked at that clause in there, but there's no way. Now, will he be the center fielder sometime this season? Yes. Okay, I'm going to take I'm going to take Chad Dotson's point of view here and come back at you on this. They're they're going to renegotiate the player's contract, so that that, that, that may not even be in effect in five years. The Reds say they're going to put the best 25 players on the field. And, and I don't think there's any doubt that Senzel's one of the best 25 players on this roster. Uh, how do you make the the, the argument that, that you that you want to win every ball game when you don't have the best 25 guys there? Well, we did have Dick Williams on the air the other day, and, and when he mentioned that, he said that that saying, you know, the best 25 players coming out of spring training, that never happens. And it never does, Bill. And you know it, I know it, and so does Chad. I mean, <laughs> come on. Um, we've got to take, we'll take a, a look at, at the control of the players and the organization health in the long run. So that means guys with options are the first ones out. If you have, you sign non-roster players to contracts in spring training that have out clauses like Derek Dietrich does, like Jose Iglesias does, 
then you've got to make sure you make a decision by the time that outpost kicks in. Uh, for instance, the Indians uh, have supposedly signed Carlos Gonzalez, cargo, to a minor league deal. His outpost is not going to be exercisable until somewhere around April 20th. So, you know, so all these little things that we don't know by just picking up the, the paper or turning on the internet or seeing the STD, about the, the nuances of contracts and what these uh, bond dates are, then, you know, we don't know uh, what's going on. But I can tell you that I don't know one bond club ever that has broken camp with the best 25 players. It all has something to do with who can keep the control of the players as long as they can, uh, how many guys you can keep in reserve that you're going to be able to call up later on without losing them to other organizations. And uh, until the whole players agreement with the owners, the CBO changes, uh, CBA, until that changes, um, we're going to continue along these lines. With two weeks to go, what spots do you think are still open on this team? Like maybe one spot in the bullpen, you think, if they go with seven? <clears throat> well, I don't know. You know, uh, open. Uh, well, what does it mean open? I mean, you know, uh, I, I, I do would be even uh, in line to, to, to jump in there. Uh, you know, first of all, you got to make a decision. Let's go to the outfield first. You got to make a decision by Matt Kemp. Is he going to be on your team or not? He's not on your team. You're $24 million. That uh, can still play. He can still hit. And then you ask yourself, well, if he's on our team, how are we going to use him? Is he going to be a platoon guy? Are we going to win these, try to win these games? Or is he going to be an everyday player? We're going to sit Jesse Winker. Uh, you know, does Winker make the ball club? Does he go down to minor leagues? Uh, does Winker play every day? And can't sit the bench. You know, there are a lot of options here. You know, A, B, C, D, and maybe E, you know, when it comes to that particular spot. Oh, and by the way, you know, you have the whole Nick Senzel uh, uh, center field situation going on. Is Scott Shepard, uh, a guy that uh, can nail down that position, can play good enough defense, um, and deliver something consistently throughout the whole year and stay healthy uh, to be able to, to be up there and play uh, every day? Is he going to be a, a, a situational guy, like a platoon there? You know, do you dare platoon Nick Senzel and Jesse Wicker? I don't know. I mean, these are tough decisions to make, but they're good decisions to make because finally what the Reds have in the crosshairs are wins, not this unknown factor of do we, do we develop or do we win. Brian Price never knew what his, his choice was, and, uh, but I think the data Bell does. And so, so I don't know about the outfield situation, how many spots are open, and I really don't know about the, uh, 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 the bullpen because – the guy that we haven't really talked about very much is Matt Bowman. Converted from the Cardinals, legitimate major leaguer. He had some injury problems last year. He had blood flow problems in his fingers. He had surgery to, to relieve that problem. He's got no issues at all. Throwing the ball really well. Well, does he have a does he have a clause in his contract that if he's not named on the twenty five man roster by a certain date that he um, get, is a free agent? If he does, then he might make the ball club. If he doesn't, then he might go to minor leagues. But I do know that the roster spots, and I said this a couple of years ago, when it seemed like that the Reds in spring training had basically an open audition, and they were looking for warm bodies at the end of the spring just to put on their roster. I mean, they had guys in this ball club that had no business being in the big leagues. Well, guess what? Those audition days are done. Um, and those guys who did not take advantage of it and, and playing time and, and their opportunity are going to be on the sidelines watching other guys play because in the meantime, the town has been upgraded, and now those guys who were on the big leagues are going to be in the minor league watching. That, that brings me to a guy I wanted to ask you about, Robert Stevenson. I don't see how he makes this team, and he's he does, he's out of options. I, it's going to be a tough decision for this team, don't you think? No, I don't think it's a tough decision at all. Really? I I I, I mean, what has he done to show me that he's that he's that he's a Okay, well, let's look. He's going to be in a bullpen, right? He makes a team. Let's start backing up now and see what the bullpen spots look like. Iglesias, Hernandez, he's not going anywhere. Uh, Jared Hughes is not going anywhere, right? right. You've got to have a couple left-handers. Duke and Garrett. You bring in the wily old crafty left-hander. Zach Duke. Zach Duke. That's five right there. Lorenzen. Lorenzen is six. Yep. Now. If you keep an extra, if you keep an extra 
position player, yeah, there's your bullpen. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know if, if that's going to happen or not. I mean, if, if you do that, it means you have 11 pitchers. The Reds have thought about taking 13 pitchers. I think they're going to probably take 12. But I don't, I don't see uh, Robert Stevenson in the plans. He just and, and, and really, really, it's not because of anything that Robert Stevenson has done or not done in the spring. It's what he's done in the major leagues. Yep, I agree. Um, you know, you, you, this team for too long has been tricked by what you see in the month of March and what you see in the month of September. And every year you hear people say, oh, well, you know, we're not using spring training to evaluate. And then they say, well, this guy's on the ball club because he, because he hit 500 in the spring. And then he's released by the, by the end of April. Um, I don't, you're not going to see that anymore. Uh, I think there's just too much uh, information and there's too many smart people in the front office to let that happen. Okay. Uh, mo- most of the prediction, prediction predictors pick the Reds to finish around 500. If you were a betting man, would your over-under be 81? Would you bet over-under on 81 wins? I'm betting over on 81. I think this ball club's capable of that. I think that they completely exercised from their memory what's happened last year. They've got enough new faces. They don't know what this losing culture has been all about. Um, and I think that uh, this ball club is going to be a whole lot better uh, than people think they are. Now, the only problem with that is the National League Central Division is a black and blue division. I mean, there's going to be a whole lot of beating up on each other, and that's just going to make it fun to watch. You think they'll be playing meaningful games in September? I do. I yeah. do, too. I agree. You mean meaningful games for the Reds? Well, I hope so. That's what, that would be meaningful to me. <laughs> yeah. I, I really think, I don't see anybody this year running away with it in this division. So, now, it may hurt the teams that are in this division that may be going for a wild card spot. But I don't see a 100-win team out of this division this year just because there's so many good ball clubs. Um, it is going to be a, a real fun time watching. But I, I do think that they're going to play meaningful games, yes. Of all these new guys this year, Chris, Gray, Rourke, uh, Puig, Wood, Kemp, uh, and I'm forgetting somebody, uh, who, who do you think is going to have the biggest impact on this team this year? I think, uh, yeah, that's hard to say. I think Gray probably will have the biggest impact. I think that because you need somebody to solidify the starting rotation. I mean, for years we've been waiting for Anthony V. Safani, and he has never been able to do that because of his injuries. Uh, Luis Castillo, we're calling him to be the opening day starter last year. I mean, you know, he's way down the pecking order right now. So I, I really think that uh, uh, Sonny Gray, I, you know, I've gotten to know Sonny a little bit down here, never knew him at all before, really had not paid a whole lot of attention to how he pitched. I've watched him before, but now I really kind of study him a little bit more. And uh, I think the guy really knows what he's doing. He's got a, uh, a great idea of how to pitch when he doesn't have his best stuff going. And that's the kind of pitch I want him out. You think he'll be the opening day starter? I think he will, yeah. And I, I don't know whether, I mean, is that, it, it's a great honor. I, I yeah. would never know what that felt like. But, but uh, I mean, whether it's him or whether it's Tanner Rollark, um, I don't know. But I would think the sun is very something the guy that's going to get them out there. Of all the guys that are on walk years, and, you know, Puig, Wood, Kemp, and Jeanette, uh, you think any of them will be back next year? Or is it way too early to even think oh, about that, that, You know, that, that's a shot in the dark. I don't know. A lot of it depends on how the season plays out. Uh, if the Reds are out of it by the time the trade deadline comes around, then, you know, then you're going to see these guys shot. Uh, but I would think that uh, uh, Puig might have a chance. But, I mean, hey. If he wants a Bryce Harper contract, you know, then it's not happening in Cincinnati. Uh, so I think that maybe uh, it would be more likely you're going to see a guy like you know Alex Wood back in a Reds uniform if he has a solid year. Because the Reds still don't have left-handed starters knocking at the door. Yeah, uh, well, Puig, he's on the PR bandwagon. He, he's acting like he's running for mayor. Why not? I mean, the guy is, is, is I mean, I, I, it's, not, it's not an act either. Believe me, I've watched a guy in a clubhouse, and he's a fun, um, tease you all the time, getting on your, 
I'm going to, you know, get behind you a little bit kind of guy. And uh, I really think that he's uh, really good for this clubhouse atmosphere. atmosphere. Uh, so I think fans are going to love him. I really do. Uh, you know, he may, he may have some setbacks in the field from time to time, do some stupid things, but all players do. But I think that the fans are going to love him because I think he cares and he plays hard. And uh, I think that's a good combination. Just a couple of days ago, they came out with these these rule changes for this year and next year. And I wanted to ask you a couple of things about your thoughts on those. The first one, and this is, I believe, taken take going into effect this year, was the change in the trading deadline. Um, to me, it, it almost seemed contradictory that Major League Baseball wants teams to be more competitive for the playoffs and, and stay in the races longer, but they're forcing teams to decide whether they want to be buyers or sellers earlier in the season. What, what am I missing? Well, I don't know. I, I, what you're referring to is that there's no – you've got to make a trade by what is it now, July 31st, and that's it. There's no trades after right. that, correct? Yeah, that's what I'm – that's what I'm waivers and all that kind of stuff. So uh, I just want to make sure everybody who listens uh, understands yeah. that. Uh, I'm not really sure uh, about that. Uh, I've I tried to, to think that through, and I've seen it from, I, kind of from both ways. Um I, I, I just think it does force teams to, to make decisions early on, and uh, you know, well, let's see how it plays out. I just, I, I'm just right now, I don't have a good grasp on whether uh, it's going to have the intended effect, which is more teams buy in. And, and, and the rule changes next year. Now, I think they still may tweak these. The, the, the roster increase to 26, I think, is next year. Or, and then 28 in September, but that may, that may be this year. I'm not sure. But the big one to me was the minimum number of batters thing. The, I just okay. Really, so that is a pitcher comes in and he has to face a minimum of three batters or finish or the, the inning. Yeah, or finish the inning, right? Uh, so you know, if you read, read the, uh, the studies that have been done about that, it may not have as big effect as you think. Because a lot of time, a guy comes in. Uh, really, what you're eliminating is the, is really the, the left-handed, the loopy, the loopy, right? the left-handed only one guy pitcher, uh, and that guy now has to pitch to somebody else, and that may end up blowing up a blowing up a ball game. There's no question about it. I, I think it. At first, I didn't like it. You know, all these people saying, "Oh, we're going to hurt these guys' arms and so on." Well, you know. Um, let's kind of revert back a little bit more and more in the older days where guys have to figure out how to get out different types of hitters. I think it is going to lead to more action uh, late in ball games. There's no question about that. But I don't think that because of the number of times you bring a, a movie in, um, which the Reds haven't had one over the last few years, they finally have one in Zach Duke. Ultimately, maybe that those guys might be due for extinction, but um, it's going to be interesting. Uh, I, I kind of like that idea. Uh, I like the idea of more action in the ball game, uh, more bats on the ball, more guys running the bases. I think that may uh, accomplish that. My, my problem with it is, is twofold. Is one is I read I read somewhere and I can't even remember where I read it now is that the number of t- of, of times that this hap- happens is on the decrease. And if it was on the decrease, I don't understand why we need another rule. And the other is, if a guy comes in and gives up yeah. two home runs, you know, gives up back-to-back homers, you got to leave him in for another batter. I, I mean, to me, that's just that's just crazy. Well, yeah, you know, let's let's see how it works. It could be your team at the bat that's a two home runs. <laughs> that's true. I never, I didn't even think of it from that perspective. And then you got Joey Votto coming up third. That's right. Uh, you know, I, that's I like it. Yeah. Uh, if, if, you know, if one of the rest of you just gave up two home runs, I'm like, oh, jeez. You know, maybe I'll just win this next and get it over with. Um, and the other, the last one I wanted to ask you about was this rule where you have to designate a player as a position player or a pitcher before the game. It, it didn't seem like it's that big of an issue to me that you'd need to have a rule. I don't, I don't know why they made that rule. I really don't. You know, I think what they're thinking is that the more and more of these position players are coming in, they're pitching in games that seemingly are really not out of hand. Uh, I mean, if, if you're going to do that, which is designate who your position player pitcher is going to be at the beginning of a game, why not just have a one rule? I mean, really. I mean, that, when, it's, when it's 10 to nothing in the sixth inning, I mean, maybe once every hundred years you're going to see a comeback. But I mean, 
let's go ahead and call the game or, or discount the beer. Do something. But let's make it more fun for, for people to watch or be at the ballpark because it's not fun. And you bring in a position player and he comes in and he can't throw strikes, but you are you only allowed one position player to pitch? I mean, that's the thing. Why can't you designate five guys? Yeah. Why do you use this for any at all? Yeah, I, I don't get it. And, and I'm really not sure. I'd be honest with you, I haven't studied it enough to see if it has an effect on legitimate two-way players like Michael Lorenzen. Does that hurt the Reds or does it help the Reds uh, when you have that situation? I think it hurts the Reds, actually. Yeah. I wanted to ask you one more thing, and I'm going to let you get out of here. The, 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 the trade that brought Puig and Camp and Wood and Farmer over, and they got rid of Bailey, I couldn't believe when I heard that trade. To me, that was like manna from heaven. We, we got Bailey out of the clubhouse. We, it didn't cost them the money. You know, they got $7 million back from the Dodgers. Is that as good a trade as you, as you can remember the Reds making since 72? Well, it's as creative a trade as you can make. It did cost, cost the Reds. I don't know what I think by my calculations. I could be wrong. The Reds end up eating about $7 million. Uh, taking on in salary that much more. But, you know, had they just released Homer Bailey and then forced the Dodgers to pay Matt Kemp's salary, which is basically a wash, then the Cursor's office probably would have negated the trade. So they made it sound a lot more interesting than it really was by including Homer Bailey with the caveat that he was going to be released by whatever target team he goes to. Yeah. That was already pretty predetermined. So it was just a swap of money, basically. And it was a swap of guys that didn't that they had worn out their welcomes uh, in their respective teams. And in this case, you know, I'm not talking about uh, uh, Shed Long. I'm talking about, uh, you know, Homer Bailey. And right. Me and right. And that camp. So, yeah. Now, the thing that really made me happy about that trade um, is, is uh, uh, Alex Wood. I mean, he was the guy that nobody talked about in that trade, who I think is going to have the biggest impact of anybody of those three um, on, the, on the ball club this year if he's able to get healthy and pitch because uh, the Reds are looking for a solid left-hander, and I think he's a solid left-hander. Well, Chris, that's all I've got on my list. I know that's hard for you to believe because I usually keep you on the phone forever. But Wait a maybe I just have become more, more brief in my old age, Bill. I don't know. Maybe you're more succinct. I don't think that's the case. I think I don't. I didn't have enough for you today. I just have to work to give you a longer list next time. Anyway, well, Chris, before know, we get off here, anytime, I, before we get off here, I want you to tell us about Baseball Rules Academy again. Tell us what's going well, on. Well, I tell you, thank you. All right, thanks for bringing it up. It's a website, and it's a free website. BaseballRulesAcademy.com. If you want to know any rule, all you have to do is type in the slang or a couple of keywords, and it will come up with a rule. Now we're getting ready. Now we're getting about a thousand people there on that website. Wow! So it's really become like the go-to place for real baseball fans if you want to get deep into the rules. We are we're uh, we're really lucky. We're redoing the entire user interface. We're changing the way it looks and the way it operates. Um, and it's going to be faster and more efficient. Uh, we're adding content all the time, which means more videos. Um, we have a lot more uh, in-depth, what we call case studies of a, a play that happens in the big leagues. And, and uh, we have a link to that play on the MLB YouTube channel. You can watch the play and you can come back and read a, an expert's uh, interpretation of whether the umpire is called it right and the reason why. But it's really for baseball rules nerds. Um, if you really want to find out how many bases a guy gets on the second play of an NFL, the ball goes in a dead ball territory, things like that. Or if, if you're sitting at your youth game and you see an umpire make a call and you say, that's a weird call, let me look at Texas interference here. And you can find out just about any detail of an interpretation that you want. And uh, we're really happy with the way it's gone so far. Uh, we have uh, a ton of material. Right now it's free. We're going to eventually carve out some of that premium content and make it like a, a membership type of a situation. But uh, right now we're having a great time putting it up there. And uh, I did it originally, Bill, so I could look up rules um, that have a quirky play that happen on the field you know, while we're in, in a TV break and then come back and have an idea. I, I've, given this, I've given my website to, to basically all the other announcers of baseball, and they use it every day. 
because they always want to know, you know, what happens right here? What is the running lane between home and first base? What is an umpire really called? Is it to be online or who has to be thrown? Is it to play the ball? Is it to be a catchable ball? These are all the things that I think is probably the last frontier of baseball uh, and that we're, uh, we're in the right place at the right time. And uh, I hope we're able to log on. I hope all your uh, listeners and viewers are able to log on to baseballrulesacademy.com. That's really cool. Uh, and I have been out there, and it, it is, I, I couldn't find anything that I couldn't find a rule on. Yeah, and the other thing about it, if you sign up, it's free. If you sign up, uh, you'll get a free rule of the week uh, email. It could be a, uh, we call it a rules letter. It could be a, a written like a case study report, or it could be a quick video, maybe a 30 or 40 second video. Uh, we just, we take the, a number of new videos, about 30 new ones with Ted Barrett, who was the crew chief during the World Series last year. And uh, he's wonderful explaining the rules. So we've got things like, you know, it gets all sorts of, of quirky plays that you probably didn't know that was the, that was the rule, and you'll be surprised. And it's an interesting and fun way to learn. I, I'm going to ask you a real quick question. The, the yesterday, I think it was the Reds. There were two catchers' interferences in the same inning. Had you ever seen that before? No, I have not. Uh, <laughs> it, because usually uh, Pete Rose and Toby Ellsbury went only that one time for inning. That's right. And, and those are the two guys in the history of baseball that have more than anybody else. But, yeah, I'm surprised it doesn't happen to Joey Votto more. Because he swings so late and he hits the ball, as we like to say, right out of catcher's net. Yep. Uh, and he was one of the guys that got it. And Senzel was the other. And we took the side view of that, of that swing, and he was really – late and trying to hit it out of his glove, too. So, um, uh, Kevin Paul Lickie was, was the, uh, the catcher. I don't know whether he's been tagged, but there's a lot of that. Uh, but um, it's an interesting rule because it didn't happen in this particular game, but if somebody hits a sacrifice fly, for instance, and scores a run, you know, maybe the manager of the offensive team has, has a choice of whether he wants to take the, you know, the result of the batted ball or the result of the, the catcher's interference. So it's one of those really weird delayed dead balls that it happens a lot in youth games. And I think that every parent, every coach ought to know in depth about the, uh, the catcher's interference rule because if you don't know it, you may lose a ball game. Nobody wants to do that. There you go. So it's going to be a much more exciting, fun-to-watch red season this year, I think. And hopefully we can get back with you and talk about how great it's going. Anytime you want, give me a call, Bill. Will do. Thank you, my friend. All right. Take care, man. You too. Bye-bye. And we're back. Jason and I uh, enjoyed that uh, conversation with with Chris Welsh. Hope you did as well. Uh, Before we call it quits here for today, I do want to mention that uh, this week, Chuck Harmon, passed away, the first African-American to play for the Cincinnati Reds, 94 years old. Uh, I had a chance to meet him one time, extremely nice, but there are so many people who have such great stories about uh, Chuck Harmon. And as uh, as Chris Garber and I were researching uh, the book, The Big 50, The Men and Moments That Made the Cincinnati Reds, we decided we had to have um, a large segment in there about uh, Chuck Harmon. And uh, and we the first draft of the 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 Chuck Harmon chapter was, you know, like, I don't know, 3000 words or something crazy because there's so much and such a fascinating guy. And so you can uh, read that chapter in the book. And there's also some excerpts at red leg nation, uh, that Chris posted today. So, uh, Chuck Harmon, a reds legend, Jason. Yeah, it is. It is sad to see him go, but, uh, but we, you know, we wish his family well and all of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, let me just quickly, before we get out of here, uh, I want to thank some of you uh, that have been supporting us on Patreon. That's one of the levels if you uh, if you uh, are, become a patron and support the podcast financially. Uh, we'll give you a, a shout-out here on the podcast, and I want to, want to do that quickly. As we say all the time, I really appreciate everybody that supports us on Patreon. You don't have to. We're going to be bringing you this podcast uh, every single week free. Uh, just like you've always been getting it. But there are some goodies you can get if you go to patreon.com slash redlegradio and, and want to sort of join the crew. A uh, big thank, thank you to Rich Thompson. Rich Thompson, my guy from William & Mary 
here in uh, the lovely Commonwealth of Virginia. Thanks, Rich. Really appreciate you, buddy. Ben Jones, really appreciate your uh, support of the podcast. I try to come up with something clever for that name, Ben Jones. You know, I'm not really, nothing was coming there. It's kind of a, you know. You just got a nice long pause from you. Yeah, there you go. You get a nice long pause, Ben. Thank you. Nathan, I, I'm not sure I can pronounce your last name. If I if I mangle it, you got to let me know, and I'm going to give you a shout-out on the next podcast. But Nathan Sturworth, perhaps? I don't know. Nathan, appreciate you, buddy. Thank you so much for, uh, I think I remember the Joey Votto Club, I believe. Uh, Louis Fetch. That's a good name right there, Louis Fetch. Glad to have him in, uh, as part of the uh, loyal citizen of the nation. Brandon Mathis, thank you so much. Uh, really appreciate your support. Branch Brown, BB. That's what we call Branch Brown around the uh, Red Leg Nation radio offices, BB. Isaac Starcher. Thank hey, you we so- have offices? Um, Isaac Starcher, thank you so much for uh, supporting Red Leg Nation radio. Um, I'm going to use your name now to avoid telling Jason about our headquarters. DJ Norman. I'll the- find you. <laughs> Whatever it takes. Hide from me forever. DJ Norman. Appreciate you, man. Now, are you an actual DJ? If so, I want to hear your mixtape. RC Courtright. Thank you so much, RC. RC Courtright, are you an actual RC Cola? I'm guessing no. Um, but I don't know what RC stands for. Really cool, I imagine. Uh, Jeff, you the DJ Norman DJs in those like shirts that Greg Norman put out once upon a time. Oh, the Great White Shark, Greg Norman. Yeah, yeah. little uh, '80s golf reference from Jason Linden there, but his references are right on point. They really are. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff Euchler, Jeff, really appreciate it, man. Thank you so much for uh, joining up recently here. And Scott, I'm gonna probably mangle this name as well. If I mangle anybody's name, then. Uh, let me know, and I'll uh, I'll make it up to you. But Scott Benhaas. Benhaas? I don't know. That's a name that I've never seen before because you are a unique gentleman, Scott. Thank you so much for being a part of what we're doing here at Red Leg Nation Radio, having a good time every single week. Um, if you like us, go talk about us. Leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Really appreciate that. Jason, you got any final thoughts for us here today? Any final words of wisdom? Um, I don't think I have any final words of wisdom. Uh, just, you know, I just hope that somebody is with you tomorrow afternoon when basketball happens. Jason, I told you, you're not supposed to mention that. (laughs) I can't take direction, Chad. No number one seed has ever lost to a 16 seed in back-to-back years. (laughs) It, It can't happen. There's a first time for everything. Oh, if any of you went to Gardner Webb, don't talk to me tomorrow. Anyway, <laughs> oh, this has been Red Leg Nation Radio for Jason Linden and Chuck Harmon. This is Chad Dotson saying so long, everyone. Thanks for listening to Red Leg Nation Radio from RedLegNation.com. Subscribe to Red Leg Nation Radio on iTunes or through your favorite podcast app. And join us for discussion of all things Reds at RedLegNation.com. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week.